This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. I am Hagar Osri, a qualified chef with 20 years experience in the health food industry. Over the next half hour, we'll discuss how to eat in a way that is healthy for you and the planet. Interviews, featured recipes, cafe reviews, food politics, your questions and more. Welcome to Sustainable Gastronomy. This program is brought to you with the help of a DCC Waste Minimization Grant, supporting Love Food, Hate Waste. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sustainable Gastronomy. Today, um, I am speaking to Alexandria White. Hello, Alex. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for talking to us. Um, Alex is a student at uh, Otago University doing her um, master's in marine science. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. So I just finished the diploma for graduates in oceanography, and I'll be starting the marine science master's degree um, in March. Oh, February, wow. Great. And um, we're talking today about veganism, sustainability, and conservation. So we're um, inviting Alex to talk about her personal experience, uh, traveling around the world, being uh, brought up um, in the U.S., born in Michigan, and um, coming all the way to New Zealand via lots of different other spots, which will be really interesting to hear. Um, so, yeah, let's start with a little bit of um, your story of where you come from and what um, brought you to where you are now being a vegan involved in um, the vegan uh, group in Dunedin Doves and doing your sustainability studies um, as well, your marine science, which is all about sustainability too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it really is. Um, so... As most people know, the American diet isn't notorious for being the healthiest. Um, So I was raised on takeout food, fast food, like KFC, McDonald's, Burger King. My parents love that stuff. Um, Soda or pop, as we call it in Michigan, was an everyday thing. Uh, Fries, meat at almost all meals and lots and lots of sugar. I I continued with that diet until I was graduating high school and going into college for the first time or university. And it wasn't about until 19 years old where I first saw my my life-changing documentaries. The one that sticks out the most was Vegucated um, and then also Supersize Me. So that year that I saw those, I made a New Year's resolution to cut back on all of my red meat as well as my soda intake because I was severely addicted. I was going to fast food almost every day. Um, it's so cheap in the United States as well. So they really get students hooked on it. You know, you can get a whole lunch for $2, two, two burgers off the menu and then a a soda. So it was really, really bad. But thankfully, um, Netflix came out around that time. And that's when I got those <laughs> documentaries. Um, so throughout my university years, I started to slowly cut out red meat. And 
implement more vegetables. I saw my own health change at that point in my life. I was probably about 20 kilos heavier than what I am today. And I've been able to keep that weight off ever since I've started making these life changes. But it progressed steadily once I left the United States and I saw how other cultures really looked at the way that we eat and our lifestyles in general. Um, So I moved to Europe where a lot of the foods that we had in the U.S. is banned, actually. So all my favorite foods, I couldn't really find them in the grocery (laughs) store. I was first forced to learn how to cook, like with whole ingredients for the first time in my life. How old were you Um, then? So that was when I was about 21. Yeah. Just the end of 21, just turned 22, just about was when I was in Spain and Europe. Um, and I got to love their fresh food, all the fresh salads, all the, at that point I was still eating um, meats as well. So animals from the ocean and animals from the land. Um, but everything was, had such a more fresh component and it, it seemed like it was a lot healthier in general. So it really inspired me to, to delve even further into what health really meant to me and what sustainability really meant and how to combine the two. Um, I moved to Greece shortly after low there. So they don't have large supermarkets. They get everything right from their own villages or the town yeah. Yeah. where it's produced. And I fell in love with that. After graduating, I decided to go and work in Southeast Asia and travel also. And this is where I really, really started to see the connection between sustainability and eating plants. So I think most people know that some things that normally wouldn't be eaten in the Western world are culturally very appropriate in Eastern cultures. Mm -hmm. Um, For the first time I saw, for the sake of tourism, animals being, wild animals especially, being killed and forests being plundered for their resources just to provide entertainment and exotic food to us tourists. I regrettably did uh, participate in a lot of those endeavors at the time Andrew Zimmern from Bizarre Foods was one of my my idols for some weird reason yeah so yeah it was really bad I ate cobra I ate crocodile I even ate brain at one point yeah and <laughs> I confessions back of a vegan <laughs> yes yeah confessions <laughs> um yeah so I started to really, really see how the economic gain was just being used all around the world to justify plundering our planet. And I didn't, I didn't, that didn't sit well with me anymore. When I moved to Australia, I started working on the Great Barrier Reef. And this is where I saw the hypocrisy firsthand. And I knew that if I was going to be dedicating my life to learning about how we can sustainable sustainably provide food for the masses I needed to start educating everyone I was around so part of my job on the Great Barrier Reef was talking about reef health and a lot of people 
disconnect the fish on their plate from the healthy reef systems or oceanic environments. Yeah, where we don't see the water, we don't go fishing for fish. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, a lot of people don't. A lot of people Mm. can't even look at a fish on their plate if the head is still on it. Yeah. You know, we fillet the fish, we remove all sentient notion from that being. Um, A lot of people have this weird misconception that fish don't feel pain either. They, They have nociceptors. They have the same nervous system that allows us to feel pain yeah um so working on the great barrier reef was something that really catapulted me into veganism really because i saw firsthand how deforestation how nutrient runoff how people plundering apex predators and the small fish from these ecosystems totally degraded the entire environment. Mm. So after that, I kind of decided, oh, well, if I'm going to live for one thing on this earth, I guess it's going to be to help protect it. Yeah. Now yeah. yeah. So traveling has really um, concreted your, um, your veganism because you saw firsthand the damage that we're doing to life on earth. And how, how is veganism saving the world? <laughs> So I think, you know, all cruelty and ethics aside, when we're talking about on an individual animal basis, if we look at the planet as a whole, if we're not just focusing on the domestic animals that we use to produce food, but also the wild animals that involuntarily suffer, I mean, they all are not volunteering to suffer, wild or domestic. But if we concentrate and we look at the bigger picture of domestic animals and wildlife and how they all play a role in the functioning of our planet, we can start to see how plants and a plant-based diet is the most sustainable thing. So eating plants eliminates so much need for deforestation or land development. Habitat loss is one of the thresholds that humanity is going to obliterate if we keep going on the rate that we're going. And the more habitat we lose, the more biodiversity that we lose, the more niches that are filled by these specific species are going to be gone. And then we're going to lose ecosystem functioning. So a lot of people think like, you know, oh, the ocean is just so big. There's so many fish in the sea. Actually, there's not really that many fish in the sea anymore. Even when I dove in pristine places when I was younger, they don't look the same anymore. Mm. Um, Because the fishing fishing industry is too clever and and we take too much, don't we? We take too much directly from the ocean for fishing, Mm. but also... Agriculture systems on land decimate our oceans as well. So all the fertilizers that we use, all the trees that we take away that would normally stop erosion, all Mm. these nutrients and extra sediments are ruining coastal environments, especially the bottom. So the benthic areas where plants would grow to sustain all life in the ocean, if they're covered by pollution and all of these things that they can't move out of the way themselves, 
then you pretty much have no foundation for life. Um, and a lot of people have this misconception that farmed fish is a more sustainable alternative. However, they don't realize that it takes wild fish to feed these farmed fish. So they take about seven pounds of wild fish to, to produce one pound of farmed fish. And so many people, my friends included, they think that we need omega-3s from fish when they derive straight from plants. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. These high-end fish like tuna are extremely important for our oceans, yet we put such a high dollar value on them. It makes illegal fishing or commercial fishing that is done legally almost impossible to stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because of um, how we consume, yeah, because the market gives such a high value for them. Yeah. Yeah. And we have companies like in New Zealand, Sanford, that come and they greenwash and they call themselves ethical and sustainable. Yet at every point of their production line, they are using fossil fuels for transportation, either on their boats or on their freights that ship it all across New Zealand Mm. or the large container ships that ship their products all over the world. Mm. They wrap every fish in single use plastic. Mm. Like how can that be sustainable? Plus salmon's an invasive species. It's the only one that we let New Zealand get away with like, you know, producing in mass quantities without Mm. trying to eradicate it at all. Yeah. You're obviously very, very passionate about it. Um, Sounds like you've, you know, you're really invested in all this. What What is your work with um, doves and how you how are you, um, you know, implementing your passion into action in the world? Maybe with your, start with your master's, what is it that your topic, what are you studying and hoping to achieve? So my goal for pursuing a master's degree is to, get hands-on experience and knowledge about how to sustainably cultivate seaweeds to supplement the foods that we need to survive. You can put 10% of seaweed into grains as fillers and you remove about 25% of the overall natural resource input into that product. So you're using way less water, you're using way less land, you're providing a superfood that's full of protein. So you're talking about the fields, not the uh, end product of a grain, Um, the field growing the grains? So, sorry. Um, So seaweed production in the means of supplying sustainable food. Ah, as an end product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, So as an end product. Mm. And not just as a food production product, but as a means to create marine protected areas as well. Uh So in these areas that we will set aside for seaweed cultivation, they will be marine protected zones as well. They will allow possibly cultural taking. So for indigenous groups who have the right to take their limited amounts, I mean, we don't have to worry about indigenous people exploiting the resources they know firsthand how to take care of it and we should be listening to them we pretty much have to put the no take in there because of all the other greedy people that don't understand how to work with the environment 
-hmm. But overall, the end game of my studies is to learn how to economically and sustainably produce seaweeds so that way we can start putting those into food products on a much larger scale than we're doing now. Mm -hmm. Um, They can also be put into food for animals. So, you know, I would love to see the eradication of animal agriculture altogether, but in my lifetime, it might not be possible. However, in this lifetime, we can start implementing seaweed into their food. And studies have been shown to reduce their emission out, I mean, their methane emissions Mm -hmm. by up to 90%. By feeding them, yeah. Yeah, by mm, That's a great uh, research topic. That's awesome. Now tell us a little bit about the Vegan Society and the work that you're doing with um, Doves in Otipoti Vegans. So Doves is a great group to be a part of. And when I first moved to Dunedin, um, I was having a bit of difficulty making friends. And that's Personally, and something that I've never had a problem with before, but I think <laughs> now that I'm 30, I'm a lot more selective with the friends that I want to make. And I wanted to make sure that I established a really core group of friends here that shared similar beliefs and similar ethics to me. Um, I thought that would be a good path to start on and to make connections in this new community. It also gives me a voice on a different platform. So it allows me to engage with people that I see, maybe not on the everyday basis, but I see monthly or bi-weekly. And we can exchange ideas, we can exchange news, we can exchange, you know, conversations and beliefs that we can't always have with the the larger society. Mm. Um, Because it's as sad as it is, vegans are just trying to do what's best for the planet, for people, for the animals, And yet we still receive so much negative criticism. So I just wanted to start with a safe community I could be honest with, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. So Um, I'm there, um, one of their co-organizers. We've got Sam and Carl and Duke as well. But it's been great. We we organized World Vegan Day. Yeah, how did that go? it It was huge. We had a really big turnout. We had lots of live performers. We had some incredible speakers there, some very motivated people from all different aspects of life, some poets, some finance consultants, actually, who talked about sustainable finance. Mm. We had the premier of milk. Um, and I sold plants. I sold plants as Christmas pets. So oh, instead of getting great. like a puppy or a goldfish yeah. for your kids, get them a plant instead. Yeah. And all the proceeds went to Dubs as a donation. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think, how much time do we have? Um, I think maybe to, to, to we've got another kind of seven minutes and there's a really big um, heavyweight feeling that I'm feeling anyway from my point of view. I see you young generation of, of activists and people with hope, but still there's a real heavyweight with the environment degrading and the population exploding and the house market going up and, you know, so economics versus um, environment is a real heavy feeling. Um, 
Do you feel that your generation is kind of hard done by and you've got all the work to clean up and as well as the scrutiny of the old school, you know, the older generation is trying to shut you guys up and, um, you know, all the criticism against vegans. And do you feel that it's heavy fighting all this negativity or do you feel hope and you see a lot of response, happy and positive response? What where, What is your take about all this? <laughs> uh, yeah, this is uh, probably the heaviest question of the century, right? Um, <laughs> but I do feel hope. I feel hope on the good days and I feel less hope on the bad days. Um, I think that there's, you know, there's never a perfect day where you just think, Oh, everything's going to be great because if that were the case, we wouldn't have animals on plates anymore. Mm. Um, However, I don't always blame the older generations. Like looking back, sometimes I get upset with my parents for how much crap they fed me, but I have to look, it's a generational problem. I have to be the one that breaks that cycle for my family. Thankfully, both of my sisters, my younger sisters have followed in my steps and they are also vegan now, but my parents didn't have anybody to show them that way. My parents, um, they both had pretty rough upbringings. And so I can't blame them for them not having a role model or anybody Mm. to be that example for them to break the cycle earlier. I am a huge ocean enthusiast, not just for studying the ocean, but as a sailor and a a diver as well. And one of my biggest heroes is Jacques Cousteau. So he, you know, paved the way for ocean explorers to really get down there, to photograph, to share the underwater world with the rest of the planet. Mm. And in his documentary, Becoming Cousteau, he started, you know, he had some faults of his own. He helped Saudi Arabia get oil, like find their oil. And he helped oil industries in a lot of endeavors that he probably regretted. However, he started noticing climate change and the pollution to the ocean back in the 70s. And he got so much hate for it. And people loved him. They loved him more than the president of the United States, um, which was a big thing back then. But he found that, like, no matter how much people loved him and how much he talked about it, people were wanting to get his autograph more than they were really wanting to change their lifestyle. Mm. You know, so I think the information has been around for a really long time and people are finally being forced to start listening to it. I don't think that we can blame an entire previous generation because I know that there are people like Jane Goodall, like Jacques Cousteau, like Sylvia Earle, like David Attenborough. These are all people I look up to. And without them, like who knows where I'd be today? Because like I said, I didn't have the role model in my parents. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's unfair for us to blame all of the problems on previous generations, but it's time for them to start taking accountability for the ones who don't already. And for anybody who tries to put negative criticism on anyone that's trying to do something peaceful for the planet, I think that they need to have a a good look in the mirror and they need to go start reading some books. They need to start, you know, really educating themselves on the plight 
of not just their own country because yeah everything happens on a local level but look mm-hmm. at the grander scheme of things mm-hmm. start looking at you know countries that still to this day are exploited for their resources their lands are taken away to produce livestock to feed the rich nations i really you know? loved the comment that you made about indigenous people and how we need to look to them for solutions because indigenous people were always living in line with how nature's nature's design and and not making our own design on the planet for for feeding the people yeah and i truly believe that wholeheartedly um I would almost trust any indigenous person to be in charge of environmental protection than I would, you know, even people that I study with. It's yeah. a cultural thing. It's a it's a profound and undetachable love. And that's something, you know, I didn't have the blessing to be born into, but I'm grateful that I found it. Yeah, that's outside. right. And through traveling. Yeah. Yeah, an observation. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, um, Alex. And shall we um, give people the contact for Doves if anybody um, <laughs> feel inspired to join the vegan group once again? I mean, we've done it last show as well. But, um, yeah, can you give us a little bit of contact details? Yeah. So if anybody, whether or not you're vegan or vegetarian or you're just wanting to learn more, Um, please feel free to join us at any of our monthly potlucks. Those will start resuming again in January. Find us on Instagram or Facebook at D-O-V-E-S-N-Z, Doves New Zealand. Um, or you can email that as well, um, Doves. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've got a website. Everyone yeah. knows how to yeah. find stuff on social yeah. media. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. It's really lovely to talk to you. It's always really interesting um, hearing a personal story. And, um, yeah, hopefully you'll do more on um, sustainable gastronomy in the future. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Thanks so much, Agar. Thank you. Bye-bye. And thank Have you all for time. listening. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.